Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 24, we're going to be starting in verse 54 today. So I should, by way of review, you look on the board, you'll see that I've got the titles of the last four weeks, including this week. Four weeks ago, we were looking at Seeking a Bride for Isaac. And that was how we opened up this chapter, chapter 24, Seeking a Bride for Isaac. The next one was Finding a Bride for Isaac. So it went from seeking to actually finding a bride for Isaac. And then the week after that, which was last week, Securing a Bride for Isaac. All right, so there was that negotiation of sorts that was going on. And then uh, finally, today's study, which is Accompanying a Bride for Isaac. Accompanying a Bride for Isaac. Reviewing uh, more specifically last week then, you'll remember that this unnamed servant was called into the house. Rebecca's brother Laban went out and said, "Hey, what are you doing out here? Come on into the house." And uh, you remember they, you know, they set up the place and they had a meal. And he goes, "I'm not going to eat." Verse thirty-two. I'm not going to eat until I tell you what I have to say. And basically, it was until I tell you about the goodness of God, right? Until I tell you the wonderful things that God has been doing, the testimony that He's given there. It's kind of like He was sharing His testimony of God's goodness in leading him into the right place, leading him to the right woman. How God had shown him His fingerprints all over that story. And then they end up in verse 54, finally they get to have their meal. All right. After he talks with them, he, uh, I should go back a little bit. When they said, go ahead and eat, eat, he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to eat until I tell you. And then, and then they said, well, tell, tell us. And then at the end, he's the one that says tell. He says, you tell me then, you tell me, can I take her back? Is she going to be the one? I'm convinced she's the one. Are you guys convinced she's the one? If so, let me, let me hear it from you. You tell me that Rebecca's the one and, and you know, we'll be on our way soon. And they said, yes, this is from the Lord. She is the one. You can take her back with you. And then they celebrated. He brought out gifts. And it's as if when we become a Christian, right? If the unnamed servant is a representative of the Holy Spirit, and if we make up the body, the bride of Christ, right? It's kind of like we're the Rebecca in the story. The Holy Spirit's kind of like the unnamed servant in the story. And what happens when he secures the deal, right? When she's like all in, when she's like now part of a new family, she's pledged to be a part of the new family, right? It's like celebration time, right? And that's when you have the food, all right? The food. I come from a church tradition where when somebody got baptized, when it was baptism time, there was a potluck afterwards, all right? And it was like, okay, there's going to be a baptism on this particular day. Everybody, you know who you are, bring your foods, you know? And it was like that was how we celebrated you know and people would be brought into the family of god and we'd celebrate with food and so that it was kind of that's what reminded me when we read verse 54 when after he tells his testimony after he's assured that rebecca's all in that yes this is from the lord then they celebrate with food and then they end up uh, staying the night there so the staying the night there also caught my attention too because in the in the jewish way of reckoning a day the day starts at evening all right so it was like they've passed from they passed from one day into the next And in Rebecca's life, that's symbolic in a sense, too, because she's passing from an old way and she's passing into a new way. And so in our way, it's kind of like there's that transition as well. When we go from not being a Christian or identifying ourselves in a worldly sense to identifying ourselves in God's kingdom, in God's family, right? And that's like passing into a new day in in a sense as well. So I get excited. You can tell I got a little bit excited about this thing. All right, so we're in verse 54. We're looking at the second half of the verse there. 
Then they arose in the morning. Who's they? It's probably everybody. It's probably everybody in the story. It's probably Laban. It's probably Milka. It's probably Rebecca. It's probably the unnamed servant. It's probably the ones that came attending him as well. Then they arose in the morning, and he, this is the unnamed servant, said, send me away to my master. He's referring to Abraham. Send me away to my master. What I think is pretty neat is the way that he politely words this. Right? He words this in such a way to make it sound like he's even at their, at their disposal or at their beckoning. And he says, please send me. You guys tell me to go. Go ahead and send me. Please send me away to my master. Verse 55. But her, this is Rebecca, but her brother Laban and her mother Milka said, let the young woman, this is Rebecca, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. Mm, uh-oh. <laughs> hesitation. He's sensing hesitation here, right? Because last night, before I went to bed, he's probably thinking, before I went to bed, this was all good. And now I'm waking up the next morning, and now I'm sensing hesitation from the people that are closest in her life, right? These are people, if you notice, (laughs) they didn't consult her in whether or not she was the right one. They didn't consult her. They made the deal without her, right? That's kind of strange, right? Mm -hmm. So now the people that made those arrangements sound like they're hesitating. And in that day and age, in the idea of hospitality, Often you would offer a little and you would give a lot. Stick around, have a little bit of food, and it would be a lot of bit of food. All right? Hey, stick around for a day, and it would turn out to be another day and another day and another day. All right? So when he hears this, hey, you know, why don't you guys just relax a little bit, kick your feet up. You had a long journey. You know, why get going so soon? Hang out for a little bit. We don't want to let her go quite yet. You know, let her get adjusted. Let her get her things. You know, let's, let's have you stick around for a couple of days, maybe 10. All right? Um, some of your translations will point out that 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 could actually mean more than 10, all right? That's just a polite way of saying stick around. It doesn't have to actually be a definite 10 days. It could actually entail being longer, all right? So when he hears that, he's like, oh, dear. Because <laughs> if he agrees to that, there's no telling when they're going to be able to leave, all right? And he knows he's been sent on a mission from God for all intents and purposes. He's come. He's accomplished. God has shown himself powerful. And now you're going to hesitate? Now you're going to keep me from doing what I've been sent here to do? Mm, I'm not sure that's going to work out so well. Verse 56. Somebody mind reading verse 56. He said to them, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So there he's saying, No, 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 no. We we need to get on the road. I, I can't have my walk with God be delayed. I can't have this progress stopped. Okay? And then verse 57. Somebody mind reading verse 57. And they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. Mm, Okay, so they didn't consult her about the arrangement for the marriage. But now they want to pull her in. Hey, you know, we're the hosts here. We're taking care of this guest here. Um, There's a little bit of a discrepancy on what we're going to do here. Let's let's call the girl. And they're probably thinking she's going to probably say, yeah, you know, 10 days would sound good to me. You know, because you got to tie up some loose ends maybe. You've grown up in this community. Maybe you got some friends you want to say goodbye to. You know, maybe you want to go one last time to that favorite market on the corner. I don't know. Maybe there's things that would call you to stick around. And I'll tell you this. I think I speak for all of us that there's a natural human tendency to be resistant to big change. Right? If somebody says, hey, I got big change for you. You're like, oh, I'm not sure I'm in the mood for a big change. Right? I'm comfortable. For the most part, I'm comfortable. What takes me to move across that threshold into big change sometimes is to be uncomfortable, right? If I'm uncomfortable, okay, then big changes, I'll take it. But for the most part, uh, you know what, I'm okay just as it is. So we can imagine how this is probably going to go. We can imagine that they're probably calling her in thinking she's going to say, 
yeah, I'd like to wait just a little bit if, if we can. Right? But what ends up happening? See verse 58. Somebody might read that one. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Mm, that came as a surprise, <laughs> didn't it? I think they weren't expecting that reply. Right? Otherwise, they wouldn't have consulted her. If they would have thought she was going to answer that way, they probably wouldn't have even asked. So she seems to have surprised them they, and surprises the readers, too, because if, if we're reading this for the first time, we're going, oh, no, how's this going to turn out? And she goes, I'll go. And we're like, Phew. Oh, I'm glad that worked out, right? Because <laughs> we might be thinking that. Here's some of the things that I find interesting in this. She's agreeing to go with this unnamed stranger, right? Who, for all intents and purposes, he showed up last night. They just met the evening before. And now he's going to go with, and how far is it? This is a month-long journey. And how am I, I'm going to be riding on a camel? Those things stink, man. I don't want to ride on a camel. But it's going to be a month-long journey, riding on a camel 500 miles through the desert. All right? Oh, I would think there would be some hesitation, but it sounds like she's all in. It sounds like God has moved her to be all in in this. Verse 59, somebody mind reading that? Then they saw their sister, Rebecca, off with her nurse and with Abraham's servant and his men. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse. Her nurse? That's kind of a weird statement, right? Her nurse? Mm -hmm. She's got a nurse, a personal nurse? If you're picturing in your mind somebody wearing a little white, you know, hat and a little starched white, you know, uh, uniform and comes around with, you know, uh, something to hear your heartbeat, that's not what we're, this is not, a, that's not what we're talking about here. I mean, that's not the type of nurse we're talking about. This nurse is, is the woman who, Re, when Rebecca was born, this is the woman who nursed her, all right? This is the woman who is going to be obviously elder to her, all right? And if somebody, for all intents and purposes, may have the closest relationship with her for her whole life, maybe even more so than her mom in some sense, all right? So this is a, a very dear and honored person in Rebecca's life, and she's going to go with Rebecca. That's the nurse I want you to pick. She's the one that nursed Rebecca as a baby. We don't have her name here, but we do find out when we get to chapter 35, verse 8, her name is Deborah. Deborah is the name of her nurse, okay? Verse 60 is a blessing, all right? So they're going to send her off. But they're going to send her off with a blessing. Now, you and I hear a blessing. Somebody gives you money and you go, oh, I'm so blessed. Thanks for the blessing. All right. This is not money. <laughs> they're not giving her money. All right. They're giving her a vocal, a verbalization, a blessing in words. Okay. Back then, that was considered uh, appropriate. That was considered important. That was something that was a big deal. And they're giving her a blessing. Verse 60. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of Mine says thousands of ten thousands. Thousands of ten thousands. What what do the other versions say? You probably have something similar to that, but maybe the wording is slightly different. Anybody have something different? You've got that yeah, one as well? May you increase to thousands upon thousands. Thousands upon thousands. Very good. All right. Any of the other ones out there? Millions. Oh, Mike's got millions. Are you reading New Living Translation or King James? I'm going to guess that one might be King James. So King James and New Living Translation will have millions there. Here's what I want to bring up just about this. Back then, they didn't have a word for millions. <laughs> they didn't have a word for billions. They didn't have a word for trillions or zillions, all right? We have big words for big numbers because we've got you know ways to measure big amounts of things that they didn't have back then. When you wanted to say as much as you could, this was how you said it. All right. So they're saying as much as they can, this is how many. All right. So what are they saying? The mother of as much as we can possibly think of. 
All right. In our language, it might say a gazillion. I don't know. You know, they might be right. saying basically they're saying we can't come up with a number that means any higher than what we're using here. It's a, a figure of speech to basically say, may you become the mother of as many as we possibly can think of, thousands of ten thousands, as it says here, and may your descendants, that's Zara, may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. I want you to turn for a second, turn back to chapter twenty-two, verse seventeen. 22, verse 17. Listen for the similarity in wording over in 22:17. Somebody might be reading 22:17. I will bless you beyond words. I will greatly multiply your descendants so as to compare with the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore for numbers. Your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Excellent. Thank you. Your offspring shall possess the gate of your enemies. In that verse, in verse 17, who's speaking? God. God. The angel of the Lord is speaking. To whom is the angel of the Lord speaking? Abraham. Abraham. And about whom is the angel of the Lord speaking? Abraham. Abraham and specifically who's with Abraham? Sarah. Not with Sarah. Sarah's not there. Uh, Isaac. <laughs> Isaac. So the angel of the Lord is saying to Abraham, this boy, he's going to be special. <laughs> All right. Over here, we're talking about Rebecca. It's the same wording. It's the same idea. All right. And these two are going to be the ones that get married. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. God is saying to Abraham that his son is going to meet these qualifications in the future. And it seems to be that God is moving the brothers of Rebecca, the family of Rebecca, to give a blessing upon Rebecca that seems to match almost identically in kind. And these are the two, husband and wife, pretty soon. By the time we finish this study today, husband and wife. All right, they're going to become husband and wife. Sounds like God's fingerprints are all over this thing again. All right, sounds like God's in here again. By the way, uh, this the word descendants, as I mentioned, that's the word seed or zera. All right. We probably, uh, you remember, we saw that in, Gen- in Genesis 3.15, the original promise of a Savior. Do you remember that? In Genesis 3.15, let's go there really quickly. Genesis 3.15, just to look at the context. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. That's Zerah. All right. Who's speaking? It's God. Mm-hmm. To whom is God speaking? The serpent. God is speaking to the serpent, and he's saying there's going to be coming a day when one of her descendants, one of her Zara, is going to, what? He's going to bruise your head, and you, sh- and you shall bruise his heel. All right? There's something yet future coming, and it has to do with the woman's Zara, the woman's descendant. And then Paul tells us, if you read Galatians 3.16, he says, that's Christ. All right? So we have, every time I run across this word Zara as we're moving through the book of Genesis, I get excited because I'm going, is this another place where it's pointing to Christ? Is this another place pointing to Yeshua? sure seems to be and this uh, that would fit here and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them among her descendants is going to be jesus yeshua this is the family tree isaac and this rebecca when they get together and have kids this is the family tree and it's through this tree that christ is going to come so it could fit yeah it seems like it could is it absolutely that's the only place that it points to not necessarily it's going to obviously be describing immediate descendants and then going on down but down the road as you get down that tree you find it does it ends up being at christ at yeshua Uh, by the way another place the gates of those who hate them and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them that reminds me of the wording over in matthew 16 18 matthew 16 18 somebody might reading that one also, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Mm. Who's speaking there? Jesus. That's right. Jesus is speaking, and speaking to whom? Peter. Peter. Speaking to Peter, and he says, and on this rock. On Peter? No, that's not actually the way it was intended to be. It was something Peter said, right? What was it that Peter said that he says, it's on this rock that I'm going to build my church? 
What was it that Peter said? You go up verse 15 to tell you what the question was before you get the answer. What is the question in verse 15? But you, who do you say I am? Good. Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? All right. And then what's Peter's answer? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's where I'm going to build my church, right there. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When it says here in this blessing upon uh, her descendants, may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. To possess their gates is to remove their stronghold. All right. I'm thinking in general terms, if my enemy is behind a gate, right, and I'm behind a gate, I'm, I'm happy with my enemy just being behind the gate. Just stay over there. I don't, I don't want to deal with you. Just stay over there behind the gates. All right. In this verse, is, is it saying you'll be safe from your enemies? It's much more than that. You're going to go take your enemy's stronghold away from them. You're going to move in, and you're going to remove from them the thing they're hiding behind. No, please don't hurt me. <laughs> All right? That's what they're saying, and Jesus is saying kind of the same type of language. You're going to remove the gates of You're going to destroy the gates of hell. You're going to overcome the gates of hell by what? By recognizing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. That's where the gates are going to fall down. <laughs> All right? The gates aren't going to be able to resist that. And as much as the world wants to tell you, no, Jesus, he was just a man. Oh, Jesus, he didn't really die. Oh, he didn't really rise from the dead. Oh, they stole his body. As much as they want to try to take pod shots at who Jesus is, no, I'm sorry, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against that. That's going to overcome the gates of hell. All right? All right. Sorry, getting excited again. <laughs> going back to uh, verse 61, Matthew 24, 61. I'm sorry, not Matthew. <laughs> Genesis 24, 61. Genesis 24, 61. Then Rebecca and her maids. we got a plural here now. All right. At first, it seemed like it was just going to be her and a nurse, but now we got some additional attendants. What this suggests is that she comes from a family with some they're well to do. All right, they're sending some personal servants along with her as well. Then Rebecca and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. This is the unnamed servant. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. All right. So here they go, the train of camels. All right, two, two here. They're going to be leaving the land and they're heading out to the desert. All right. And what a parade that must have looked like. So now they're on the train of camels. All right, they're heading out into the desert. I got to tell you, though, I got a trip coming out. We're going through Death Valley. All right, we're going to nice. drive through Death Valley. I'm in a modern car, air conditioning. All right, and it's going to be just a few hours. I'm just going to be out there for a few hours. And there's still this little twinge in me, you know, that I'm like, but it's Death Valley. And it, it, what if I break down? You know, it's like, will there be solid reception? You know, if, if I break down, am I going to have a place where my phone can get through? Or am I going to have to hike somewhere? find a place where my phone can get you know and there's all these ideas i got family i gotta make sure i take care of them too you know, so maybe i should break water there's all these thoughts that go through my head i drive a modern car they're riding camels wow. all right my trip is a day their trip is a month all right i get to sleep in an air-conditioned hotel they're going to be sleeping out in the open all right that's a harder trip than i'm used to experiencing all right and there they go there they go out in the desert like that all right if she's a picture of the bride of christ right if isaac is like the type of christ and Rebecca, the bride, is like us, all right? And the unnamed servant is like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is accompanying or attending us on this arduous journey through the desert right now, all right? It's as if she's already pledged allegiance to this new family without having met them, as we have pledged allegiance to God, all right? God, I'm all yours. I haven't, I haven't met you face to face yet, but I'm all yours. I already know I'm all yours, all right? And, and now what? I'm going through the desert right now. We're all going through the desert right now. We're looking forward to the day we'll be joined together with him. But in the meantime, what are we doing? We're going through the desert with the Holy Spirit accompanying us, all right? And it's going to be an arduous journey. 
there's going to be struggles. There's going to be some suffering along the way. It's a month in the desert. There can't help but be suffering along the way. It's hot. Can you imagine? Oh, I can picture my girls out there. It's hot. <laughs> no, it's so hot. Are we there yet? You know? <laughs> it's, there's going to be some suffering. But you know what? Paul tells us in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. She's looking forward to the glory at the end of the journey. <laughs> And it's such that the glory at the end of the journey overshadows so much the trip that you don't hear any suffering about the trip. There's nothing in here that says that she was really miserable the second day and then she was even worse the third day. There's none of that. It's as if any suffering from that month-long journey through the desert is as if it's just completely overshadowed and washed away by the glory that's revealed at the end of the story. All right. So moving on to verse 62, we're getting there. Right? They have arrived. Now Isaac came from the way of Beir Lahai Roy, for he dwelt in the south. So they're coming upon Isaac. Okay? Isaac's in this weird place. Beir Lahai Roy. We've seen that before. That was over in chapter 16. In chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, Hagar. Hagar, under the concocted scheme of Sarah, Sarah says, Hey, you know, I'm barren. I can't have, I can't have any babies. Uh, Abraham, why don't you take Sarah and uh, have a baby through her and we'll count it as our baby, right? She gets pregnant. Hagar gets pregnant. And Hagar gets this, like, attitude, all right? And Sarah says, "Uh uh-uh, not my house, and treats her harshly, and she runs away. She runs away, and it says the angel of the Lord found her out by a spring. And the angel of the Lord talks to her and says, you know what? I see you. And she declares the place of the spring or the well that belongs to the one who sees me. That's what Be'er Lahai Roy means. The well of the one who sees me. Or the well that belongs to the one who sees me. So that's where Isaac is right now. He's at the well of the one who sees me. All right? Moving on to verse 63. And Isaac went out to meditate. So he's gone out to this well. He's out there. He's meditating. By the way, that word meditate, it's a translation of an obscure word that can also carry with it additional meanings. It can mean meditate. It can mean pray. It can mean lament, cry. Or even carry with it an idea of complaint. All right. What would he be crying and lamenting and complaining about? We get a clue from the last verse of this chapter. The last verse, the last sentence. What does the very last sentence say? So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He's out there in the field. And he seems to be not yet comforted. He's out there in the field and he's lamenting and crying about the passing of his mother, the most important woman in his life. It's been three years. She died three years ago. He's 40 years old in this episode. He was 37 at that time. And it sounds like that was such a big blow to him three years later, it's still affecting him. So he's out there, he's meditating. It's still affecting him. And what happens? He lifts up his eyes. He lifts up his eyes. I love that. He lifts up his eyes and looks, and there the camels were coming. In verse 64, then Rebecca lifted her eyes. You suppose their gaze met? I think they probably did. I think, you know, I think he's looking, he's going, I recognize those camels. And wait, I recognize the guy leading the train, right? I recognize him. That's my unnamed servant, all right? But who is that and those other ones? Who is that and those other ones? And she, you see that in verse 64, she lifts up her eyes when she saw Isaac, and she dismounts from her camel. Okay, camel's pretty tall. I think that's pretty robust of her, just be jumping off camel like that. <laughs> All right, but she hops down from her camel. She goes to the guy leading the train, right? And then verse 65, for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? 
So already she can tell that he's identified them. He recognizes, oh, that's my dad's servant. Those are the, his camels, and there's somebody else with them. I'm going to go over there and see what this is all about. She goes, oh, what's this? She gets down, and she finds out this is the guy you're going to marry. Do you suppose on that trip she's had conversations with the servant, maybe around the campfire at night, a couple you know, weeks into the trip, so well, tell me about this guy, <laughs> right? I'm going to get married to somebody I've never met. Can you tell me anything about him? Well, I got to tell you, pretty handsome, and you know, he's going to be, you know, I don't know what did they discuss, but I got to imagine that she probably asked. All right, she probably wanted to know a little something. So now she sees he's coming. She asks and confirms, yes, that's actually him. She jumps down from her camel, and she ends up doing what? She takes her veil and covers herself. All right, she takes her veil and covers herself. I should say regarding the servant here, and notice what the servant said. How did the servant identify Isaac out in the field? Did he say that's my master's son? Is that my master? That's my master. <laughs> You recognize that? All through the whole story, up until this point, my master's been Abraham. Now my master is Isaac. The author is trying to tell us there's a transition going on. Abraham is putting his affairs in order. He's an old man. He's going to die soon. In fact, he's going to die in the very next, very next chapter. All right? He's about to pass away, but one of the last things he wants to make sure uh, takes place is that his son marries a good woman. All right? So here she comes, and the servant identifies, oh, that's my master, as if he already knows as well. This is the last big chore I was given. As soon as your dad finds out that I've brought you guys together successfully and the Lord has blessed our trip, you know, your dad's going to be able to pass away in peace, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. all right? So he identifies him as my master and then, and then says, she took the veil and covered herself. Uh, back in that day, it was customary for a woman to cover her face with a veil during the period of betrothal. So as soon as she, oh, that's him, she covers her face up. All right, um, because she already recognizes they're engaged. They're going to be engaged. They're, they're not married yet. So she covers herself up with a veil. By the way, uh, that was customary. And the wearing of a veil, oftentimes you'll find in your Bible as you're reading through your Old Testament, a description of a woman's beauty has to do with her eyes. Because that's all you can see. <laughs> you can see her shape and you can see her eyes. So a lot of times the Bible concentrates on if, the, if it says anything about what she looks like, if it calls her beautiful or something, it's usually about her shape or has something to do with her eyes. All right, so you see that with Tamar. You see that with... Leah, you see that with the adulteress in Proverbs chapter 6, and you also see it with the beloved in Song of Solomon, uh, where it talks about specifically the eyes or regarding their shape. All right, verse 6, 6, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So the servant is filling Isaac in and all that's happened since he's been on this journey. And can you imagine Rebecca standing near a camel, wanting to hear the words, <laughs> probably seeing the hand motions, and probably seeing Isaac going, you know, <laughs> kind of lean out. Mm, that's the one for me. All right, okay. You know, and maybe a smile come across his face. I don't know. I'm imagining these things, but it could, could happen. I'm sure she's paying attention. And then verse 67, Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Brought her into his mother's tent. The words brought and the word tent right there. Kenneth Matthew says that those words actually, especially taken in combination with one another, suggest sexual relations. All right, so this is like married. (laughs) That's what it sounds like. The story jumps, however much passage of time is, I don't know. But it seems to, at least in the author's perspective, jumps right to the marriage. All right, they are now married. And here's the interesting thing that I noticed about this. It says, and he loved her. This is the first mention of love between a man and a woman in the Bible. We've had a lot of marriages so far, but this is the first one that mentions love. All right? What does that tell you? Why does that stand out? Here's what stands out to me. When you go back to verse 58, when they say, will you go with this man? And she says, I do. I will. I'm going to go. She does that before they've met. She makes a commitment. This is no plan B. All right? She's not going with a prenup. 
All right, she's not going out there. Hey, if it doesn't work out, we'll get a divorce. I'll come back home. We're used to that kind of talk around us in the society that we hang out with. But for them, mm-mm. she's committed before there's love. They made a decision to be husband and wife before there was a feeling of love that would come along with it. Love wasn't a prerequisite to getting married. You could get married and love was a feeling that followed. It wasn't the thing that led. And too often the relationships that we have today, that we see today, people, oh, I'm not in love anymore and the relationship falls apart because they think the relationship is based on love. No, it's based on commitment. And the love follows. I had somebody explain to me, my youth pastor explained to me when I was a high schooler. He goes, love should not be the locomotive on the train. Love is the caboose. All right? The locomotive is your commitment. The caboose is the love. Let your commitment be the one that pulls you along and let love be the thing that follows. And whether you fall in or out of love, that shouldn't break up a relationship because people go through changes. But you make a commitment first and that's going to help because the love's going to follow. All right. So we're going to end there. Okay. Uh, I do have a little bit of homework, though. A little bit of homework for you for next week. Read through chapter 24. And look for parallels. Look for uh, different things where you might be able to pull out of chapter 24 uh, suggestions or ideas that might get you from the point of finding the right person, finding the right woman, the right spouse, right? The right man or the right woman, woman to get married to and leading you up to and guiding you up to the point of marriage. All right? Just kind of a fun exercise. We'll look at that more la- uh, next week. So read chapter 24 again with kind of that mind. What to look for in finding the right woman, man? Yeah, or? just suggestions or good ideas or parallels that you might see from chapter 24 that would lead you from the point of seeking or deciding that, hey, I want to get married. How do I find the right person? Up to the point of getting married. All right? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word and the richness and the depth and the layers that there are to your word. We read in this story and we read about a man and a son and an unnamed servant and a woman. And there is that one layer. And then we also read and we see your fingerprints, Lord, where you're showing up and there's parallels that we see to you and your church. We see a picture of us. We see a picture of the Holy Spirit. We see a picture of your son. We see a picture of you. And then we also look at layers where you might uh, be consoling us or talking to us about relationships that we might even experience or that we might see others going through or experiencing as they might be deciding, who should I get married to? Should I get married at all? And uh, how do I know? God, lead me and guide me. We pray that you would help us next week as we look into that. We thank you, God, that your word is appropriate and relevant even today, even though it's about stories from thousands of years ago. We thank you for showing that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Be glorified in our lives, Lord, and help us, Lord, to resist those temptations to think, oh, this is a storybook, this is myth, this is fable, but instead to recognize this is real and this is living. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You guys have a wonderful week.